So uh, I was in a mock trial thing today before we recorded, and it was genuinely terrifying. I was a, a, a witness for a mock trial that was in a real courtroom, had like a jury and prosecution, and a real judge was the judge for this like law school mock trial. And it was genuinely terrifying. I was like kind of sweating because you're actually in the booth. You actually take the oath, the whole thing. The judge is in the robes. The prosecution was really kind of mean to me. It was scary. And now I know why Matt and Franny are so prone to those stupid metaphors when Jeff asks them questions at tribal. Because you don't know what to say and you freak out and you just start yammering on about whatever you want. So welcome back to Survivor Analytics, the show where we talk about the Survivor and... Flawless intro. <laughs> a flawless intro from me, the voice of the people. My name's Jack. With me as always, the true expert. Say hi, Clyde. What's up, party people? We have a twist this week. Much like how Survivor throws in a random twist every single week for no reason, we're doing the same thing. We have our first guest. <laughs> we have our friend and college roommate. We have John Miker. How's it going, JM? Hey, Clyde. I'm John Michael. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Happy to be here. So JM has been following this season up until this point. H have you seen any other seasons before this one? No, so this is actually my first full season. Seen episodes here and there, but my first full season. So I'd like to pick up the mantle right now as the true voice of the people and kick Jack out of that seat. Not the true expert, not the voice of the people, the true voice of the people. I don't know what that makes me. Oh, probably useless, but JM, <laughs> <laughs> have you liked this season so far? As someone that's new to Survivor, have you found that it's easy to keep up with? Because that's something that I keep thinking about with all the random twists they're throwing in, that it can feel easy to get lost in the sauce of it all. Uh, yeah, so I guess you technically asked two questions there. Have I liked this season? Yes, I have. It's been uh, uh, been really a uh, fun one to kind of jump into, but uh, it has been difficult to jump into as a first uh, first um, viewer. And so I was talking to one of my friends, uh, and, and he was saying how difficult this season is with all the twists. Uh, for example, pretty much off the bat, um, in one of the tribals, one of the first tribals, a shot in the dark was used, and that was one where they just kind of skid over that, and I had no idea what was happening, rewound it like once or twice, because I didn't even understand like how it was being used or how it was brought up before they even started using it, um, and that was one where, you know, production probably just assumed that everybody had known, um, and uh, an instance in which I kind of struggled to pick things up. It, it's funny to, to point that out, because... There's an assumption from production that you are a big enough fan to know what a shot in the dark is, but that you're not a big enough fan to get bored when the same puzzle is used for multiple seasons and Carson can 3D print it. So I don't know. They have a Venn diagram of like fans who know all the rules and fans who don't care about repetitive challenges. And that's the Venn diagram they want. That sliver. Uh, so my question for you, John Michael, about this season so far, eight episodes in, who's your winner pick? So at this point, right, I've gone through a couple different winner picks and saw them uh, oh, go by the well, wayside. You know, everybody has that happen. That's totally normal. Yeah. Some of us, like Jack, have three winner picks on the season. And I have a feeling when the third goes home, he probably will ask for a fourth. <laughs> Of course. And so that's kind of been one of those things where I could laugh uh, at Jack while I'm listening to these podcasts. And then when it happens to me, I'm like, oh, wait, this isn't as fun as I thought. So who are you on now? 
Who is it now? So right now, I think that I had this gut reaction um, early on, but didn't pick him as my winner pick. But I've gone since then to Danny and really like Danny. Thought he was going to be um, under the radar for a really long time based on the first couple of episodes um, because he was kind of just running around almost high energy, but trying to make that his character or whatever. But then um, I guess we'll get into this kind of towards the end. Um, how it looks like he will be, you know, putting a target on his back. So we'll see how that actually plays out. Um, but as of right now, this instance in time, um, Danny is my pick. That's fair. Jack probably loves that. Jack loves his meat boys. I love my meat boys. I, but I've also said for a while, Danny's not going to win. You can't be doing backflips on the island and expect to win. That's my take. That's a deal breaker. One backflip and you know you're done. If you have the energy to be backflipping, uh, you're not giving the game enough. Oh, what? Let's move on. Well, I have a fun fact for you. This ties very well into my major fun fact for the episode. So Jack fell in love with the Meat Boys a couple episodes back, mainly because they bullied Carolyn. Um, and that was enough to earn the Jack stamp of approval. It was a good take. And my advice when he said that is never pick the strong boys to win because they never do. And I was bored and went back and looked at the last 10 seasons of Survivor and picked out who was the archetypal strong boy of the season. And I looked at all those contestants, averaged all of their placements. So what do you think the average placement is for the strongest physical person of the season? Six. Five or six. Five and a half. Five and a half. What do you think, Jam? I would have said five. It's 10th. <laughs> really? <laughs> if you are the strongest physical competitor, more often than not, you'll make it through the pre-merge because your tribe needs you for team challenges. And then the second you're vulnerable, they realize it's not worth keeping you around because you had that potential of going on an immunity streak and they vote you out. So I think whenever we do our fantasy league in the future, one of my philosophies will be never pick the strong boys because you'll get some points out of them, but you'll never get a home run. Well, I mean, you know, it depends on what you want, right? If you're going to play a little money ball in fantasy, right? You might want a strong boy to get you to the merge because they'll get to the merge probably. Yeah, it, it's a safe pick. Yeah, it's a good like third round pick. Like I think you got Danny in the third round. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, compared to Jamie for me in the third round, I think that's a way better selection. The other thing we have this week besides John Michael is the soundboard's back. So don't worry. <laughs> uh, we've got sound effects and we've got clips from this episode to discuss later on. But let's jump in. Uh I have a question for both of you guys uh, as the true voice of the people and the true expert. Immediately after, you know, we open, everybody's coming back to camp. Franny's upset because uh, What's-His-Face got voted off. I can't believe I forgot it Matt, for a second. Matt, you forgot? got voted off. I think you're pretending to not know to try to take the true voice of the people title from JM. Yeah, he's trying to act all now. It, it's been <laughs> one week without him. Uh Franny's upset and Jam Jam immediately jumps on her and is like, I'm so sorry. It was really hard for me too. I love Jam Jam as a personality. In these moments, and there's another one later on in the episode, I don't like how proactive Jam Jam is with his comforting. He's an aggressive comforter. And okay, because we also get the moment later in, a, in the challenge where Danny drops and Jam Jam goes to hug him, and, he, and Danny's like, no, like, give me a minute to sit and process my loss. Everybody loves Jam Jam. I think he might be a bit much. Is that crazy? I 
could have sworn that that was just his perso- uh, persona, though, because he's just that big teddy bear kind of guy, um, first to comfort, first to be there for you, um, and kind of win your favor, win your hearts in that way. So um, I never thought it was too much, just because I assumed it was uh, just his play, or honestly, his personality, just outside of the game as well as in. Yeah, and I don't think Franny was annoyed by Jam Jam. Like, we never get a confessional from Franny talking about how Jam Jam is doing too much. So yeah. until we have some kind of evidence that suggests that Jam Jam is overplaying socially, then I, I assume he's fine. Like, I think he's probably one of the best social players on the cast. Yeah. Well, it annoyed me, so. Uh. <laughs> but, but and I guess that's all that matters, right? Because that means Jam Jam <laughs> is out of contention for the Honorable Mention Award. He will never win one this season. Let me refine my question. Um... So is there a point where it goes from being the most approachable to being overbearing and so present that people get tired of you? Does that happen in the show? And I guess this is a question for Clyde. Yeah, but I think typically when you see contestants overplay, they do it more in a strategic sense than they do in a social sense. Like one concern that I have for the season moving forward is Carson's constant role as the middleman between these different alliances and I am more worried that people will catch on to Carson just based off his voting history, because that's a more tangible thing you can keep track of as opposed to how likable somebody is or how approachable someone is. So I'm sure it happens, but it's not as common as someone overplaying in the physical or strategic aspects, because those are just way easier to observe. Yeah, that's fair. Um, another thing that happens when we open up the episode, we get Franny devastated over losing Matt. And you can tell me if this is kind of messed up, but I was kind of excited to see how Franny would react to losing Matt. We know that Matt would be bawling if Franny was sent home before him. I'm assuming that would happen, but we never knew how into Matt Franny was. So I was interested to see how she would respond to this, and she was devastated. She was crying at camp. Um, I need to give Jack some credit because he predicted that when the showman's ended, there would be tears. My question is, do you think this is the official end of the Matt and Franny storyline on this season of Survivor? Like, will we get Franny in confessional mentioning Matt by name? Or is Matt nothing more than a random person that will pan to at the jury at this point? Oh, absolutely. Matt's coming back. Because when Franny's name starts to get thrown out, uh, you know, in further episodes, part of her threat is that she's got this locked vote in Matt. So I don't think the Matt story is going to be done until Franny's over on the jury. And then I don't care about this game anymore. I want to watch their little romance documentary over in Ponderosa, enjoying, you know, time on the beach, their little uh, pre-honeymoon. So you're saying that you want her to get voted out soon so that they can uh, have their time together for free? Yeah, wait, isn't Brandy oh, your no, winner pick? No, no, you no. You picked no. Win. <laughs> <laughs> You want her voted out? <laughs> Just so she can be happy. I'll be happy either way. Look, look, Clyde, listen, I stand on sand, not on stone, man. Like, the tides are shifting. You never know where the sand is going to go. And so I'm happy either way. But uh, she did say something along the lines of that she feels marooned. And I think it was interesting. We saw for a long time, almost all of Matt's social play was through Franny. Franny had these other branching things. She had conversations with Jamie, with Heidi. Um, But in this moment, at least, it definitely felt like she was struggling to see a path forward, which surprised me. But it is an emotional moment for her. So 
I think it's interesting that uh, prior to Matt leaving, I think a big part of her strategy was that she had a locked vote for any kind of um, strategies that she might be chasing after. So people would cha- uh, people would approach her and say, hey, can you get Matt and you to vote this way or that way? Um, and, and that was an, a value add that she was bringing to the table. Um, another thing that we learn in this opening scene is that information on Jamie's idol, which is fake, but everyone thinks is real, has now been leaked. ID mentions this to Jam Jam, and this is the moment that had me terrified because Jamie is the last member of my fantasy team. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, because I had Matt and Matthew, and they're both gone. Oh, oh man. Is this a situation that Jamie can even resolve at this point? The only person that knew this was fake is out of the game. Like, is Jamie just screwed and there's nothing she can do to possibly dig herself out? Here's what I'll here's what I'll say about Jamie. You know, I mean, honestly, like I'm at a ten at all time. I just wear it well. You know, I, I think she's <laughs> always prepared. She's always ready. You think she's ready? I don't think she's ready at all for what that idol's about to be. But we get a slow-mo shot of a bat up in a tree flying away. And the reason I bring this up is because back in Samoa, there was a lot of symbolism to the nature shots. Who do you guys think the bat is in uh, 44? When I think of bats, oh man, or are we really playing like an analogy game right now? Like, who's the bat of this season? Yes. Who's, who's the bat? Um, so when I think of bats, I think someone that's like, kind of hiding in the dark, like playing more under the radar for the time being. And there's a couple players that kind of fall under that category. I think you could say after this episode, uh, Jamie is more under the radar. Carolyn is more under the radar. I would have said Heidi, but based on playing that advantage last episode, I don't think she qualifies as under the radar right now. So one of those two. Okay. John Michael, who's your bat? Not going to lie, dude. Uh, at least through this episode, I would actually flip it back to maybe Heidi. But I have my reasons. I'll uh, uh, that, that I'll explain a little bit later. But uh, for now, I think that she kind of goes back to under the radar throughout this episode. So that's my gut. What about you, Jack? So I think the bat is Carson because the bat, the bat moves very awkwardly and we go immediately from the bat to Carson's death crawl into the woods. This poor kid, absolutely destroyed by the PB&J. And it's already on our TikTok, but just to highlight it again on the podcast, Clyde called it. You know, Clyde said this is a challenge designed for them to puke. And look at him go. Mr. Preparation wasn't ready for the concept of eating too much. Uh, Later on, we find out Carson threw up eight times. That's a lot of times for just eating peanut butter and jelly and hermit crabs. Oh, here's an interesting question I have on Carson, though. Are we officially putting Carson on medical evacuation watch? Is there a chance that he could get pulled from the game for this? Because I have seen contestants in the past eat too much and then have like their stomach or inside so messed up that they get pulled from the game. So that's in the cards for Carson. He looks bad, especially at the start, right? Like, in this moment, he's pale, he's gaunt, he looks kind of like me, like, barely alive, right? Uh, By the time they get through the challenge, he's still weak, but, like, he's gone from genuinely looking, like, scary pale to colors come back to him, he feels, like, okay. I did not get the sense by the end of the episode that he was still in a bad way. 
Okay. What do you think, JM? Is there a chance he gets pulled from the game or you think we don't have to worry about him? I uh, I wouldn't think that we have to worry about him because I've never seen an instance in which somebody just eats too much and has to get medically evacuated like you might have. Um, so no, I think he's okay. Yeah, I think the odds are in his favor because the two food-related medical evacuations that I remember were both contestants that were like 50 years or older. So <laughs> that might have played a factor into it. We get camp um, footage of Carolyn walking around cooking the meal for the whole um, tribe and then also yeah. being the first one to kind of comfort Carson while he's throwing up. Uh, and I got a vibe of, wow, like she's kind of like the tribe mom right now. I don't know. I wanted to ask you what you thought specifically <laughs> about uh, Carolyn seeming to step up, at least in camp life. The one good thing I I can say about Carolyn, she seems like a very devoted mother. She's willing to go through her kid's poop for a tooth, right? And if that's what she'll do for her real kid, she'd do pretty much anything for these guys, especially for Carson, right? I think she uh, cares deeply for Carson. I think uh, until Carson blindsides her in a few weeks, uh, she's going to be Team Carson all the way, and even then might not hold a grudge. Good honor, you know, finding something to do, finding some way to prove that she deserves to be on this island because it's clearly not in challenges or in conversation with people. Let her cook, you know? Let her pat poor sick Carson on the back. I think it's a good look for Carolyn. Oh, oh, shocker. Whoa. Who would have thought that Clyde liked something Carolyn did? Oh, my God. When I see these scenes, I see them as pieces of information that will hopefully have some kind of long-term impact. Like, production has so many camp life scenes that they could choose, and they're tactical in the ones that they show us. So, I think there's a real potential scenario where if Carolyn reaches the final tribal council... I think Carson will vote primarily based on strategy, but if Carolyn is on par with someone else strategically, Carson might say, hey, I have this real close connection with Carolyn as a person, and that is enough for me to give her my jury vote. I I think that's a real possible scenario. I think if Carolyn reaches the end, she already has the locked vote in Jam Jam, and I think she has a pretty likely vote in Carson already. I mean, yeah, to be fair, Carolyn does carry Carson through this challenge. Yeah, I want to talk about the pairing up. For this challenge, they run it in multiple stages. It's this really complicated thing that doesn't really need to be this complicated. They could have just made it individual, I thought. I loved this. I absolutely loved this challenge. Felt like there was like a hundred parts to it. Yeah, it needed a commercial break. That's great. I love that. I did not like it. The challenge, I think, is the least interesting part of every Survivor episode. That's a wild take. I think once you've seen enough seasons, Jack, I think you'll come over to my side because Everything that they've done in this challenge, I've seen before. Yeah, I mean, I I hate it when I go to an NBA game and somebody shoots a three-pointer. Like, I've seen that in every NBA game I've ever watched. Like, But this is different. That's like people at the peak of their physical performance. This is something where I think challenges are valuable to Survivor, but the winner of Survivor is not dictated on challenges. In fact, I think challenges are the least important factor in fighting a Survivor winner. But for this challenge, we have the contestants going into pairs. And the pairs that we got are Brandon, Kane. We have Heidi and Jamie. We have Danny and Lauren, Jam Jam and Franny. And our favorite, Carson and Carolyn. I'll be good, Carson. I'll carry them on my back. Yeah. And I think this is a great decision by Carolyn to pick Carson. Okay. Because, Jack, you will agree with me on this. 
Carolyn is not winning an individual immunity this season. That's a lock. It's yeah. not happening, right? Yeah. So if you're Carolyn, this is not an opportunity for you to win immunity because in reality, it's not going to happen. This is an opportunity for Carolyn to strengthen a relationship with somebody that is clearly struggling. And I think by partnering with Carson, that strengthens their bond moving forward in the game. You're giving her so much credit for looking at somebody that she's just taken care of. She's got the maternal instinct for him. This is all heart. I don't believe there is any head to this decision. Even if there isn't head to this decision, it's still going to benefit her. It's just luck. It's going to, if it benefits her, it's not because she was thinking, I'm not giving her an ounce of credit for making this choice, except for as a kindness. It is not a tactical move. But it's still benefiting her game. But she doesn't deserve credit for it. The only tactic I thought was there was that Carolyn was hiding behind an already handicapped player so that like just her always being the crutch in all the other challenges, now she's not the only crutch for this team of two. I mean, that that theory could have worked if Carson had had a chance to play in this challenge. (laughs) (laughs) It worked out in the best case way for Carolyn, right? Um, This pairing, because if she was with anybody else, They'd be furious at her by the end because of how terrible she is. Like Carson is on paper the best person for her to pick, and she did that. But that's not why she did it. It worked out for her. It's yet another moment where Carolyn bumbled her way into success. You know, she stumbled uphill. Okay, I'm just saying, once the resume builds up, at a certain point, we'll hit a number of all these things can't be by accident. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. At some point, you need to say, okay, there has to be some thought behind this. No, no, I don't. They absolutely can. You will never say that this whole season. I want to talk about the other pairs. And here's my question for both of you, especially John Michael, because at this point, I don't care what Clyde thinks about challenges. Uh, (laughs) uh, If you get to pick your partner, you don't know what the challenge is, right? You're standing on this beach. You've got this tree mail. You've got your pick of this group of people. And Clyde, I do want to know what you think, of course. Who do you pick? I think I might pick somebody that I think is weak in challenges. In case we get pitted against each other, then I have the advantage. And in case we get ne- put next to each other like this instance, then I carry. Um, so then uh, my pick probably would have been Jamie then for that reason. Wow. Okay. That That's a fair take. Clyde, what, what, who in this group would you go with? I pick whoever I'm like strategically aligned with. Because at this point in the season, I would be thinking that there's no way production is running another BS twist for the third episode in a row. Like, that's unprecedented. Like, this has to be one person winning immunity. And I would lean more on the side of my partner is someone I'm working with rather than someone I'm working against. So... Ideally, I'd want to work with an ally in hopes that we can make it far into the challenge. And at least if I don't win immunity, then someone I'm working closely with has it. Like, I think Danny's decision to work with Lauren here is a really bad idea. They kind of end up together, though. They did kind of build that bridge a little bit. But then, you know, the next day comes and they could go separate directions. Well, they voted against each other this episode. Like, why would you want to help someone in a challenge that you are actively working against? Like, Danny is a big reason why Lauren has success in this episode. Obviously, Lauren deserves a lot of credit, too. But, yeah, I mean, the two of them do very well. Uh, I mean, 
I think my head is a little bit more where yours is at, John Michael. You know, us ignoramuses have to stick together and not think about the larger scope of the game because uh, it didn't even occur to me to think about production. I was thinking entirely like you were. This is where we differ. <laughs> yeah, th this is the true expertise right here. Uh, I think I would probably go with like a cane because depending on, on what the challenge is, I think I could beat Kane at a decent number of things. But I also think if I was on this island, dude, Kane and I would be tight, dude. We would, uh, we'd have wedgied Carson by now. Would you be making D and D sounds, sound, sound effects as he go through challenges like he did in this challenge? D did he? Did he make sound effects? He, uh, well, we we can get to it when you summarize the the challenge. But at some point afterwards, he finished like one of the legs and then the made like a yippee kind of sound effect though. Oh wahoo! Is this a Mario jump? <laughs> Yeah, so we can hop into the challenge then. The logistics of it is that it's three stages, unbelievably long. It takes up one segment, then you have a commercial break, and then another segment of challenge, which is more than I really need. <laughs> I love that. It's so great. So the first one, first stage is crawling through a muddy net. Second stage is getting across a bridge using planks. And third is an endurance challenge where you have to put your feet on these really small platforms. Um, I'm going to start off with the best highlight of the whole challenge, and that is, of course, the Carolyn Squawks. This episode might have set the record for the most Carolyn Squawks, which was amazing. We get, what is it, like a four or five minute scene of her rolling around in the muddy net, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I've got clips. Can I hear one? Can I hear a squawk? Okay, so I've got a couple here. Uh, I don't have a squawk, actually, because what? there were so many... Our listeners don't want to just hear squawks, Clyde. Yeah, there's too many good ones to pick from. How can you possibly choose one squawk when they're all so great? This felt like a uh, public service announcement for like why you're supposed to cut uh, those rings that six packs come in because you don't want sea turtles to get stuck in them. This kind of felt like a PSA for that. Like if a human can't figure this out, how could a turtle figure out a bottle container? Um, so first I've got this. Carolyn has been in dead last this entire challenge. She cannot figure it out. Jeff has absolutely no mercy. He's so ready to move on, right, and commentate about the actual race, but they're so far behind, and Carolyn is just rolling in the mud. Like, the concept of continuously rolling is foreign to her, and she's just going back and forth. And then the other clip I have is um, poor Carson. He's standing in the hot sun, He's dehydrated. He's like emptied everything in his digestive system out for this game. He's confronted with a challenge that he can't have 3D printed at home. Um, he doesn't have any peanut butter and jelly energy anymore. He's watching the teammate who said, I'll carry you, Carson. Oh, what did she say? Oh, I'll be good, Carson. I'll carry him on my back. She said she'd carry him on his back. She's struggling. She's in the mud. They're clearly going to lose. And we get this from Carson. Carolyn, you're doing great. The weakest? You're doing great. He's so sad and just trying to go through the motion of being supportive. And I felt so bad for him in this moment because obviously he knows he's not going to do. I felt so bad for Carson, especially how he had to jump in. You knew he was losing this challenge before it even started. Like... <laughs> He doesn't even get a chance. He doesn't get to well, try. On, you, you can't feel like, oh, this challenge was robbed from Carson. He was never winning it to begin with, with this pairing. Well, no, but 
I would like to see everybody have a chance to compete, especially when in the previous challenge, he didn't compete either. So he's now two challenges without competing. That's something to keep in mind. Did you write down what uh, Jeff said to Carolyn when she did get out of the net? I know. I don't think I did. He calls her a, quote, real survivor. And all I'm saying is no one else on this cast has been called a real survivor by Jeff. So that's another feather in her cap. You think Jeff knew at, um, at that point in time that she was going to go all the way? We go through the race. Uh, things to highlight. Um, the teams that make it to the end are Brandon and Kane, who when they win the bridge part, I loved their energy, their teamwork. They, I, I like the two of them. Obviously, that doesn't matter in about 20 minutes, but uh, I like that energy. And then we, so we get Brandon and Kane, and then we get Danny and Lauren at the endurance stage where it goes individual. Yeah, it was weird to see him and Brandon partner up because I thought that they had it out for each other. After the first episode, Brandon said that Kane casted a vote against him and he would remember it and later flip on Kane. But it seems like everything's all chill now and they're buddy-buddy. Well, we also get a quote from Brandon at one point where he says, look, I, f I forgive, but I don't forget. Like he, I think he's willing to stick to Ratu lines and just, you know, worry about it later. I like that when they get to the endurance point, they've had to do all of the mud, all of the sand, and the race, right? So they, their heart rates are up, they're filthy in a couple different ways, and then they have to do the endurance. I think, you know what this felt like to me? It felt like the Christian challenge. It's in another endurance challenge in David versus Goliath, where this guy's... Yeah, the Christian Hubicki, uh yeah, crucifixion challenge. Yeah, he's up there for like six hours or whatever. It's ridiculous. And this felt like... You think this felt like that? No, here's why. Here's what I think it was. I think production said, we can't have another endurance challenge that goes six hours because we get bored. So let's get these fools filthy and then eliminate some of them and make it shorter. That's what I think. I think they wanted to do an endurance challenge tempered by mud and sand and cardio. Oh, see, I think that's what made this challenge lame. I would rather see the contestants sit out there for like 10 hours. I think that's great. I love it when an endurance challenge runs on and these people are just drained by the end of it because that's when their real emotions and feelings come out when they're so broken down from a challenge like that. But when it, you have an endurance challenge that goes on for 30 minutes, someone drops and it's no big deal. Like that challenge of David versus Goliath is one of my favorites all time. Yeah, it's great. Because it's such like an emotionally moving thing when he finally wins it. And I don't think you can get that same emotion when it's so short. I mean, I thought this one was pretty moving. Oh yeah. One part of it's moving and that's the fart. Oh, let's let, so let's talk about the fart because the sequence of events, it goes something like this. Channel whatever you need to. Oh. Jeff. Danny. Oh. All I got to say is I give mad respect to him for farting, laughing his butt off, and still not falling. I was so impressed with the fact that he was able to do all that and not fall. That, you know what that is, Clyde? I know that Clyde thinks it's fake, but he thinks the sound effect is fake. Oh, it is Here's fake. what it is. It's real because what do we know about Danny? Danny knows how to breathe. Danny knows how to control his airflow no matter what hole it's coming out of. So I think that was absolutely the actual sound and that the microphones did pick it up. Oh, I believe that he farted. I just don't think that's the actual Danny fart. That doesn't sound like a fart that would come from Danny. 
What what does what does that sound like? Yeah, I think a uh, Danny fart has a lower pitch to it than that one. That one was a really high pitched fart, and I raised my eyebrow at that. I'll believe it. You're saying that in this moment, when every muscle of his extremities is clenched, holding himself up, that that wouldn't make the pitch go up. Well, the guy's a firefighter. He should have some, you know, muscle endurance. I'm just saying, when you've got everything clenched, the the pitch is going to be a little higher than normal. He he knows how to breathe, so he probably has control over that. I think he could have selected the pitch of the fart, and I don't think he would have selected that higher-pitched one. He's one of those guys, like, have you guys ever heard of the uh, the fartist? This was a guy in the 1800s who was like a traveling performer who could, like, fart songs on command. Is this real? This is real. Oh, That's okay. not a joke. He, like, performed for a, a king or something. Oh. Well, Danny, who is he compared himself to? It's Peter Pan. Who was the other comparison? Dennis the Menace? Is that who it was? Yeah, Dennis the Menace. Yes. Yeah. And now the whatever, the fartist. The, the fartist. What's your question, Clyde? The question is, if you were Danny and you're in that challenge, right, and you feel that you have a fart brewing in your insides, would you call to Jeff to alert him? Or would you try to sneak it and hopefully nobody notices? I think at that point, there's no way to sneak it because like Jack said, you're all clinched. It's going to flood out and there's no control. So you would call to Jeff to announce it before it happens? Yeah, it's a moment of personality. It, you know, <laughs> you've got Matt and Franny doing their long, you know, heavy-handed metaphors. You've got uh, Matt bringing the papaya or whatever to bribe Jeff. And we've got Danny farting on command. And that was the moment he became my winner pick. My concern, and maybe this isn't a concern when you haven't eaten that much for 20 days or whatever, but my concern would be ensuring that it's just air. This happens fairly often where like power lifters accidentally lose control of their bowels, to put it nicely. I would be worried in this moment when you've got everything engaged and you're going to let something slip. You don't know for sure what you're letting slip. Yeah, and he was on the peanut butter and jelly reward, right? Oh, so he's got yeah. calories to spare. Well, there, yeah. that means there's actually something inside of him for him to release. I'm ready to talk about the winner of this challenge, if you guys are. Yes. Yes, let's move on to the actual achieve. Oh, wait, there's one more thing before we get to the winner. Oh, great. <laughs> what is and it? That, and that's this, that's this moment. Itchy. She doesn't say, I'm itchy. She just starts scratching herself and goes, itchy. Yeah, and that's probably just as endearing as the fart, right? No. Oh, okay. I was so scared that maybe we find out that there were like, ant piles in the mud or something like that and that everybody else was about to just like break out into like a fit of like scratching well everybody else would have like two bites and carolyn's covered in them carolyn's like that guy in the indiana jones movie that gets carried away by the ants because she was in there for so long so why do you think production included that part <laughs> here i'll tell you exactly why production wants us to laugh at carolyn no they're not trying to get you to laugh at carolyn yeah yes they are that is not a moment where you're going, oh, this is a really intelligent and personable human being. Is the Danny fart then them trying to get you to laugh at Danny? I just think they're showing their character. No, no, that's laughing with Danny. Yeah, see, it's a double standard for you as it always is. It's just a character moment for Carolyn. She's like a self-described weirdo. This is just like them showing her personality. They're not showing this with the goal of like, we want the audience to laugh at her. If you look at Twitter, Reddit community, whatever, most of Survivor fans like this stuff. They're not laughing at her when she does it. 
I'm concerned for the nature of humanity if that's true. It like, is true. I don't get why people find her. It's insane. Let, let's move on to Lauren. I, I want to praise Lauren. So the winner of the challenge is Lauren, which I was really happy about. She has this really uh, wholesome quote where she says, my kids are going to be so proud, my kids at school and my own kids, because I think she is a elementary school teacher. So I like this for a couple of reasons. Um, first, we saw Brandon, one of Jack's muscle guys, lose to Franny at the finale of last week's challenge. And then this episode, we see Lauren beat another one of Jack's muscle guys in the finale of the challenge. So I'm all for the muscle alliances having their asses kicked when they think that they're going to win all the challenges. And I also want to just give Lauren a little shout out because we have a lot of negativity on this podcast, like primarily coming from Jack towards Carolyn. And I want to say that I think Lauren seems like a really nice person. And like this whole segment, like warmed my heart hearing her talk about the kids, um, her own kids and the ones at school. Oh, for sure. And I, I think actually, I don't remember. I think it was John Michael said something about how the double vote hasn't been as much of a priority, right? Uh, in terms of voting. I don't know if that was John Michael who said that earlier, but I think part of the reason that people aren't focusing on Lauren's advantage as a threat is because I think Lauren is one of the most likable people on this cast. I think she's got a great story. I think she's really nice. You see a moment like this and you just have to root for her. Frankly, I love my muscle boys. I'd like seeing them lose, especially when in this season, we had such a run of losing all those young women early in the show. To have these couple challenges where the young women are triumphing over the muscle boys, I think is a great arc, and I'm all in favor. Can you remind me why Danny has such an issue with Lauren then, and why Danny's gunning for Lauren then, if, uh, if everybody likes Lauren so much around the camp? I just can't remember at the moment. Yeah, I think it's because Lauren is on a different tribe from Danny, and they're still operating under those original tribal lines, and she has the extra vote. So I don't think it's anything personal, it's just her positioning within the game. And I am a little bit worried that the challenge win on top of the extra vote might magnify her target going into future episodes. Like, yeah. I would not be surprised if if the target gets flipped onto Ratu next week if Lauren goes home. I think that's a reasonable potential given that the outcome of this episode and given where the numbers stand. You want to go to the post-challenge discussions and the two big plans circulating? Basically, it's Ratu Franny versus Soka idling to protect Franny and blindsiding Ratu. Yeah, it's essentially a Ratu versus Soka battle with Tika, the Purple Tribe, in the middle. The hinges being, or the moving parts being Tika and the idol, right? But it's weird the way that all of this plays out because Ratu gets really cocky, I think. So they want to vote out Franny and... I thought their approach would be, we'll keep the Ratu members in on this plan and we'll tell the Tika members because we need their votes. Like, there's no reason to uh-huh. tell the Soka players about this. And Kane goes ahead and tells Heidi that Franny is the target, which is just an absurd decision because he should know that Heidi and Franny are aligned. Yeah. So that information is going to spread from there. So I think the way that Ratu handled this was not great. And worth noting at that point that... That's another time where Kane has talked openly about a tactical conversation with somebody outside of it and given up information that he didn't need to. And then we have this counter plan of Brandon getting voted out, which is led by the Soka group. 
And Danny has this idol and he's in this tough spot where he is planning on using it on Franny. But the question comes up of should he tell people about it beforehand or should he keep it a complete secret? Danny goes ahead and tells Heidi about his idol and he also tells Franny about it. Do you think this was a smart move on his part to share the information with people within his alliance? Okay. It's hard, right? Because my read is there's a concern. If you don't tell enough people, the group could fracture and and it could go another way. If you tell too many people, it gets out and becomes useless, right? And I don't know if he strikes that balance quite right. I think he gets close and and I think he regrets telling Heidi. I think it, it was the right move to tell Franny for sure. But what do you think, John Michael? I think that he, of course, needed to at some point communicate to the others and tell them because then it's not just like a, a him uh, as the only um, stray vote against Brandon where it would have just been like him versus like everybody else, right? He needed to get people on the side. So then it ended up being like the very clear like tribe split. And I think that he would have, if it if he had just done that all himself, he would have ended up with a bigger target on his back than um, what he ended up with at the moment granted there's still a target on his back but it's slightly smaller because it was a or at least is able to appear to be a mob mentality rather than a um like huge strategic single person rogue action but then yeah the fact that he was so surprised that that news just spread so quickly i thought that was kind of puzzling because it's like the moment that you tell one person let's be honest at least half the um remaining people are going to know by then um, so I, I was puzzled by that. Um, and I guess he's not going to forget that Heidi spilled that part. Um, I will say, though, along with this, that I'm kind of proud of Heidi for stepping up. And uh, I feel like at least at the beginning of these uh, this season, I thought that she was kind of under the radar, didn't do much. And I thought she was a little bit of a follower. But then she even says in her confessional, I, it's time for me to like kind of start planning things myself and then going about um, being proactive and whatnot. And so I kind of liked that um, she was very proactive in kind of creating or at least helping Danny create this plan. And that's why she's your bat. Oh, dude, I disagree with you on this. I think Heidi played this terribly. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I completely think that also. Because Heidi goes and she talks to Jam Jam and tells Jam Jam about Danny's idol. And I think it's a terrible move for two main reasons. So first, by, by leaking the information on Danny's idol, she's going to lose trust with Danny. Because Danny finds out later in the episode about it. And I think that bond between them is fractured to some degree. Also, you don't need Jam Jam in on this vote. Like, that's the second main reason. You could have all of the Tika votes and all of the Ratu votes piled on Franny and then all the Soka votes piled on Brandon and it would work out totally fine. Jam Jam is not an essential yeah. person to include on this plan, so there's no benefit in leaking that to him because that creates a massive risk because if Jam Jam wanted to, he could go back to Ratu and say, Danny's going to play the idol on Franny. Let's switch the target to somebody else. You're essentially putting all your cards, all your chips in the middle of the table on Jam Jam in hopes that he doesn't do anything sketchy. And I actually would expect Jam Jam to flip the target because Heidi just casted a vote against him last episode. Jam Jam has no reason to trust Heidi yeah. and he has every reason to betray her with this information. Do you think do you think that this was Heidi trying to do more damage control for playing that advantage against him? 
don't know, maybe, but I feel like it's too big of a swing. The reason, though, that that she said it, it didn't seem like the reason that she told Carson and Jam Jam because they were told together. Didn't seem like the reason he, she told them was because she was trying to win favor with Jam Jam. It was because she was trying to win over Carson, knowing that Carolyn would follow Jam Jam and Jam Jam would probably follow Carson in the vote. Um, and so she did that because she realized she was losing Carson in the conversation and needed to win him over with a key piece of evidence. So I think that that's the only reason Jam Jam got to find out because he was standing next to Carson. I guess there is a risk of Tika and Ratu working together and splitting the vote. Even even if the math worked in favor of a split, telling them about the idol skyrockets the chance of that split. One thing I also noted was I think this was an optimal chance for the Soka members to test Tika's loyalty. If you don't tell them about the idol as something to pull them onto your side, this is your opportunity to find out, do they actually align with us? or they actually aligned with the Ratu members. And you kind of throw a wrench into that by introducing the idol into this equation. So I feel like the Soka members received less information out of this tribal council because they leaked it. That's a great point. Uh, I mean, but, you know, as they say, this game's going to play you and you got to play the game. That's my favorite Danny quote from this episode. Oh, that's a Danny quote? Okay. So going into tribal... We basically know that there's this plan in place on both sides. Um, and there's the question for Danny of, do I protect myself if it switches on to me or do I roll the dice and go for Franny? And I think the production, to their credit, does a good job on this episode. And it's part of why this episode is, I think, the best one of the season, actually. I agree with you. I think it's the best. I, I don't think we know where Tika is at all because it, it feels like Jam Jam has this information Carson has this information and we don't know we don't get a single conversation about what they're going to do with that knowledge of the idol if you're in that Tika group do you have a preference in terms of which way to sway like align with the Ratsu people or align with the Soka I'd rather go Soka because you go Soka you trim down you trim it down to three 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 and then all of a sudden Tika continues to have more power, right? Where if you stay Ratu and they maintain a majority over Tika, at some point, you know, it becomes a 4-3-2 or a 4-3-1. And then all of a sudden Ratu is starting to vote off Tika members. I thought about it. If you side with Ratu, right? You vote out a Soka member. You have what you just said, a 4-3-2. Those two Soka members at that point are desperate. They would be willing to mm-hmm. hop on board with the three Tika and then work with them at final nine where you have a five four advantage over the Ratu players. Like I kinda like the idea of cutting out Ahsoka now to cut their options and almost force them to work with you in that next stage of the game. See that true expertise? Yeah, that's crazy how you can think through it like that. And no. Clyde Clyde, do you play chess? No. <laughs> Yeah, like, I can't imagine, like, I feel like, John Michael, you and I have played chess before, and we're both fine. And I feel like Clyde would be, you know, we'd be playing chess, and then he'd pull out, like, a cookie that he's been slowly dosing us to become allergic to, and he gives us the cookie, and we take the cookie and die, because Clyde's on a whole (laughs) other level. He's not playing chess, he's playing Survivor in real life. Well, when we get to the vote, I have a theory behind the vote that we could talk about, but I'm set to head to Tribal Council if you guys are. Yes. So first thing, Matt's looking great. And like every 30 seconds in this tribal, we get Matt and Franny looking at each other. Yeah, Matt had heart eyes for Franny the whole time. 
Wait, they they did that? I didn't notice that. They looked at oh each other. Oh my god, dude. It was constant. Are you serious? They showed Matt, but I didn't know that him and Franny were eyeing each other up. I just thought they were showing him watching the tribal council. Constantly. Constantly. It was several times. That and then I've got one I have one sound bite. And it's your girl, Clyde. I'm at a ten at all time. I just wear it well. Jamie's at a ten at all times. I don't know. That felt like such a backhanded uh statement like saying i just wear it well because she says that directed to is it lauren uh heidi it's heidi okay yeah she's like i don't wear it well because uh, i think they're talking about like the anxiety of a tribal and you know on a scale of one to ten where are you at and jamie's like oh i'm constantly at a 10 which you know is like uh... yeah, can you imagine when jamie's name gets thrown out there what she's gonna be on this anxiety level like episode one she played the shot in the dark for no reason. Like, I can't imagine what's going to happen when Jamie's name actually gets brought up. And then we get a long metaphor from Franny that I thought about putting on the soundboard, but it was too long for me to, uh, it didn't add anything to the conversation, really. It was very geometrical. Did, did you see that Matt, they kept on panning over to Matt, and Matt was eating up this, uh, yeah, this analogy. I, I genuinely think that there's a piece of Matt that is waiting for Franny to get voted out so that they can go have a little romantic getaway together. Yeah, they only communicate in analogies. Matt talks about his long-winded uh, skiing one. And wait, what was Franny's about this episode? Franny's was basically that we're all arrows. And I think what she meant was like vectors. Uh, and we're all going in different directions. But we have to figure out where we're going to intersect. Oh, a great STEM reference. So Danny plays the idol on Franny. And then we get six votes cast on Franny that are all negated. And four on Brandon. So the first muscle man has bit the dust. One down, one to go. And then I won't need to hear about this goddamn muscle alliance anymore. Well, you're not going to hear about it. There's nobody left. There's no muscle boys left. One does not make an, al an alliance. Well, I guess the alliance never really existed considering Danny participated in the elimination of Brandon. It's also crazy that Danny plays the idol on Franny this episode. And I don't know if you remember last week, before the Tribal Council and the whole chaotic twist they run, Franny was planning on flipping on Danny. Franny was, like, in the works to vote out Danny, yet she was still able to convince him to play the idol on her. Like, I think that was a great look for her. So, before we talk about the, the strategy of the vote and why Tika did what they did, because it feels like Danny chooses to use it on Franny on his own right he goes to franny and says i'm gonna use this to protect you and she's like crying and thankful what do you think he gets out of that right obviously franny's gonna be tight with him now but he's lost his idol i'd say really preservation of numbers he wants to make sure he has that soka alliance around because i think he is closer with heidi than he is with franny but after this move i assume franny will be tighter with danny on top of it franny just lost her closest ally in the game she is looking for a new number one and I think through this move, Danny positions himself as the most valuable player on Franny's list. Um, and then just the risk of going down to just two Soka members in this situation is is tough. I think if I were Danny, I would not have played it, though. I would have cut Franny loose and let her go. I think the benefit here is having the numbers, but the drawback is the target on Danny's back is magnified. He now has the biggest, most tangible move seen in the game up until this point. 
uh, by saving Franny. Like, my prediction is next episode, Danny gets voted out. I think he almost played too aggressively too early. In the next time on, we see him running around and idle hunting, so... Yeah, he'll need to. Wait, JM, what do you think? Do you think it was a good call? So, I agree that uh, Danny definitely biggest advantage that he wins over Franny and hopefully just secures more of his, like, uh, prior tribe's trust, uh, knowing that he'll be, like, that selfless player when it comes down to it. Um, and so... I was fine with them using it. I, at the uh, root of it, I don't think I would ever like use an immunity idol, not on myself though, but I was fine with them using it in this situation, uh, which kind of turns me to a question I wanted to turn to you guys, which is how often does a idol get successfully played on um, another um, player? Like how often do you play one right for somebody else? Not often. The last time it happened was season 37, <laughs> David versus Goliath, where uh, Davey successfully plays an idol on Christian. He is making history, but I think there's also a reason for that. <laughs> I think there's a reason why players are hesitant to use an idol on other ones when they know they can preserve it and use it for themselves. Um, I have two fun facts on this idol play. This tribal council marks the third time in the season when a vote was changed by an idol play. We had Maddie going home in episode one when Brandon plays the idol. Then we have Josh playing an idol to send Sarah home in the pre-merge. And now we have this one. The other fun fact I have is that I think it's ironic that Brandon started his survivor career by playing an idol and voting out Maddie. And now his survivor career ends with him getting idled out. That's not a fun fact. That's an observation, but but it is it, it is interesting. That is a fact that he started the career with the idol play and he ended it with an idol play. And we didn't mention this. There's now one idol left in the game and that idol nobody knows about and it's held by Carolyn. You know what? She deserves credit for it. She can't do much, but she can keep that thing a secret. That's something that I think bodes really well for her moving forward because Carolyn has the ability to make a really flashy move happen. Do you think she remembers she has it? Yes. Come on, dude. Come on, you think there's no way she forgot? <laughs> yes. She did not forget. There's a chance. But I think she is someone that can easily make it to final five, final six, then make her flashy play then, which will put her in a good position for the end game. I, I want to say something. I'm not going to change camps and all of a sudden jump on the, oh, Carolyn's great bandwagon. But if she successfully plays that idol, she will deserve a lot of credit and I will give it to her. I'm just setting that tone now because if it happens, which I don't believe, like I, I don't think she deserves credit for anything yet, but if that happens, I will give her the flowers she, she deserves. I, I look forward to it. I have some parting words for Brandon. So Brandon called himself an everything man on this season. It turns out that the one thing he could not do was win Survivor. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well said. I liked Brandon, but to be completely honest, I don't think we're ever going to see him again. I don't think he's going to come back for another season. I feel like the muscle boys don't typically... There's always more muscle boys, right? There's other muscle boys, and there's ones, I think, with more interesting like story arcs than Brandon. Last thing I want to mention, so this vote is a 6-4. The fourth is Carolyn. Carolyn was included on the plan. Yeah, it was Danny, Heidi, Carolyn, Franny, right? Carolyn voted right. That's a great look for her to actually anticipate the wave and read it correctly. When I personally, 
I don't understand how Jam Jam and Carson could get that intel, go on the other side of the vote, and get it wrong, and not change the outcome, not split it, not do something. It didn't make sense to me at all that, that they stuck with the original plan, knowing that information. It does, though, because they said in a blurb, actually, before Tribal, that they their words were something along the lines of, there is no point in burning our bridges by, like, watching this move. And so they actually knew that it was going to be played successfully and still wanted to uh, win favor for the rest of the remaining, uh, was that Ratu? Um, yeah. people so I guess that uh, to the question which which tribe would you uh, commit to they committed to the Ratu um, and they, they wanted to save that bridge but if you're going to commit to Ratu doesn't it make sense to flip the target and actually vote out someone from Soka if they committed to Ratu they just put Ratu down another man I mean at that point maybe they still saw like individually they probably still saw Brandon as a threat okay so this kind of connects well to what I was thinking I think it's possible that they did this on purpose, knowing that the votes would go on Franny and they would all be negated. And this is a stretch, like I'll need to hear the reasoning next episode. But by making this decision, you still have strong relationships with Ratu because you just worked with them. And they could potentially still gain favor with Soka if they can go to Danny and say, hey, we learned that you were putting that on Franny ahead of time. And we did this on purpose to help get rid of Brandon. Now, if I were in Danny's shoes, I wouldn't buy that story because I think your vote is the clearest indication of where your allegiances are. But there is some strategic reasoning for this. I'll be curious to see how it plays out next episode. I think the most likely scenario is that they just messed up. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those hard moments where you can give credit, right? You can go, oh, I see how that was a tactical move. But you got to hear it, right? Because there's a path forward where this was smart. And then there's like six paths forward where they either overthought it and they double bluffed. And they were like, oh, Danny knows that we know. So he's going to play it for himself. Then we're going to, right? Or they just didn't do anything with it. And I stand by the idea that it was done on purpose by James Jam and Carson. I think it was Carson's brainchild because it was him who was saying that in the James Jam Carson conversation. But I wonder, I want to ask you, is there a world in which Carson would ever like go to Danny and say, hey, this is the way we're voting to save face with them so that we can have that relationship going forward and be a bridge between so, some kind of like obscure kind of like getting him to buy into why you're voting that way before the tribal and just being completely transparent about it like that? Yeah, I think that's possible. We just need to see that next episode for me to believe it. There's also a chance that this episode, Carson's brain is just totally ruined because of peanut butter pukes, and and he's just like, there's three of everybody, and he's like, I think I'm voting with you, but there's like nine Ratu members in my field of vision right now, and uh, Bruce is still here. There's a chance Carson's on another planet right now, but a great episode. Yeah, I'm good to head into winners and losers if you guys are. John Michael, who is your winner pick? Did you write it down? Yeah, yeah, I wrote it down. Okay. Did you write it down while we were on the podcast, or did you write it down before or you hit record? Before, and and so my winner pick for this episode is Jam Jam. Um, I like I like Jam Jam because he what? Yeah, because 
uh, you see it as like he, they were at least um, at the beginning of this episode in the middle of these two tribes and he going from the bottom of the barrel two two nights in a row, two tribes in a row, three tribes in a row, whatever. He now has the power and has power again. And I think that that dynamic of, you know, people trying to continually win over Tika uh, is going to continue. And I'm, I'm willing to stand by that. Um, and the fact that because I'm a believer in exactly what we were just talking about, that he was saving face with Ratu by voting um, against Branny with Carson voting against Branny, that he um, is uh, better off. And so going forward, I think that he like has uh, Ratu um, because of the way he voted and uh, it will somehow, I don't know how yet, but will somehow still have an in with uh, um, the other, the Soka um, people. So um, for those reasons, Jam Jam is my winner. Pretty surprising pick. I do like what you said, though, about Jam Jam having more agency in the game. I felt like this was the first episode where there was a shift from Carson being the main Tika person with connections everywhere to Jam Jam being that player. Uh, which means next time it'll probably be Carolyn. Um, <laughs> so, Jack, who's your winner? Uh, my winner's Franny, I think. Um, okay, same. Yeah, because I think she stayed another week, made tighter bonds with Soka, but also within those bonds, now Danny doesn't have an idol. And I think the combination of those, now that it's a 3-3-3, I think she's got a bond with Jam Jam. I think she's tight with her people. I think she's going to connect with... Um, um, Jamie. What's her Jamie? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I could see a very reasonable argument where Jamie abandons ship from from Ratu at this point and says, "Look, I'm going to stick with uh, the girls I was with for three days before the swap turned into a merge." You know, so I think Franny's in a great spot, and uh, we'll see. At some point, I would love to see Franny win, but I think it's also likely that we'll see Franny over on the jury, and she and Matt aren't even watching. They're just staring at each other. I agree with everything you said. I think this episode really showed Freddy's uh, social gameplay. The fact that she was able to convince Danny to play it on her when Danny easily could have just cut her loose and move forward from there with the idol in his pocket. Have we ever been on the same page before? Have we ever had the same winner pick? Yeah. It's rare. I need to go back and check. It doesn't happen that often. Once or twice, maybe. Yeah. it's It happened a couple times in Samoa. I think it's happened maybe once. Uh, earlier this season. Yeah, it happened in episode five. Yeah, episode five, we both picked Josh as the winner. Ah, classic. Josh, the true winner pick in this. Uh... Uh, Jam, who's your loser? Um, I Well, okay, so I don't know whether it's a loser or dishonorable mention, but Jamie's out here at Tribal trying to burn bridges. Um, I'll say that. <laughs> Maybe I'll move her to dishonorable mention. But then, um, ultimately, I think uh, Heidi... I said I was proud of her for trying to make plans herself and being proactive, right? But at the same time, I do agree that she is worse off after this episode because she, one, kind of proved to, or continues to prove to all of Ra too that, you know, she's, uh, like, original tribal loyalties and, like, uh, trying to target them as a group, um, but then also lost Danny's um, uh, favor and, and loyalty by, like, you know, spilling the beans. And so I think that even, like, the person that she might consider herself, like, close to, or at least in this action, she was working with Danny, but also still in that process lost his trust. That's a solid pick. Uh, Heidi was in contention for me for the loser. Um, how, how about you, Jack? Uh, my loser is Jam Jam. Oh, <laughs> oh, you, oh, you're just trying to fight now. 
Listen, I, I, I think until we get some justification for this move, based on what we saw in this episode, I came out of this episode and now knowing that Carolyn voted with the blind side and voted correctly, and I subscribe to Clyde's theory that the vote is your best way of making your intentions known. I find myself in the disorienting position of seeing Carolyn as having a better handle on the game than Jam Jam. For the first time. Uh, I think Jam Jam read this one wrong. And I think when that intel was revealed to him and Danny had this moment of panic because he knows Jam Jam can't keep his mouth shut. And then nothing came of it. That's, I mean, that could have been a huge moment for Jam Jam to make a play. And instead he watched it go by and he can try to justify it. And maybe he has a good reason. But based on what we've seen, doesn't work for me. So that's why he's my loser. Clyde. I have Carson because I think Carson was in the same position as Jam Jam where he could have flipped the target and he passed up the opportunity. I think him and Jam Jam have a lot of the same negatives this episode. On top of those negatives, Carson is also sick. <laughs> and that was yeah. enough for me to move him up from dishonorable mention, which, spoiler, my dishonorable mention is Jam Jam for all the reasons that Jack stated. And this is my chance to have a little victory lap after predicting the vomit. So <laughs> Carson is locked in as my loser. I will say, though, I think Carson and Jam Jam are both in great spots moving ahead in the game. Like, I think I said last podcast that my prediction is the winner of this season comes from the Tika tribe. Like, if Carolyn does get voted out, my backup is Jam Jam. Do you guys have honorables or dishonorables or, I don't know, fan favorite awards? Any other random award you want to throw in? John Michael, what do you have? Um, obviously, Jamie for Burning Bridges and Tribal um, for no reason at all. But then also, I would say my it doesn't have to be like one of the contestants, right? Oh, it's anything under the sun. There is no rules for this, apparently. I would say Jeff Probst because he had the opportunity um, when Carson was throwing up and sick or whatever, just like how Jeff had been like during medevacs holding the person's head and making <laughs> sure they're okay. Jeff had the opportunity to do the same to Carson and say, oh, sweet Carson, I will nurse you back to health single-handedly, and he did not. So this is an honorable for not doing that or a dishonorable for not doing that? I think it's a dishonorable because he's already made his name known. That's an honorable for me. I'm happy I didn't have to see Jeff out there giving the most unrealistic medical advice. For no reason at all. I was expecting it so much that I was just left disappointed when he didn't. So that's why he's dishonorable for me. Jeff is the only person on camera with internet access, and he is just using it for WebMD. Uh, but we did get it this episode. My honorable mention is for Carolyn. No way. The day has come. The day has come. Dude, we got the honorable mention unlocked. It's only a matter of time until she gets the winner's spot. We're working our way up right now. She has earned this in the same way that, that Jam Jam earned my loser. She read that vote right. She didn't do anything else in the episode right. In my opinion, she was just nice to Carson and then par for the course in terms of being incapable at challenges. But she read the vote right. Unless we get something where she says, oh, I had no idea what was going on. And I thought Carson and Jam Jam, like unless she was like mini blindsided by her tribe and they didn't tell her. She read it right. And she deserves credit for that um, because she doesn't do much right. I'm not, I don't want to give her much credit, right? She didn't deserve a winner pick. She barely deserves this. I kind of wanted to give it to Lauren for winning the challenge. 
Oh, but but we've done that so many times already of, oh, I'll give Brandon the honorable mention for doing a backstroke in the challenge. Oh, he deserved that. Well, that's another reason why this episode's great. We lose another strong boy. So hopefully these challenge-based honorable mentions will go down in the future. Never, never. Challenges are the best part of this game. I I believe that to my core. But that's all I've got. Um, John Michael, thank you for being on and being our first guest and the true voice of the people. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say thank you so much for having me. Um, tough looks that some of my takes were unanimous, unanimously disagreed with. But <laughs> uh, hey, just just giving you what the what the people are thinking. It, it'll make for a great chart. Uh, the Instagram post is going to be great. But that's all I've got. Clyde, anything else? Yeah, I'm all set. Well, thanks for listening into Survivor Analytics. You can catch us on Instagram and TikTok under the same name. Clyde's a TikToker now, if you don't know. If you're listening to the podcast and not on social media, Clyde's a successful TikToker now. Yeah, feel free to hop on. I think I posted something today on just kind of outlining the alliance dynamics of all the contestants remaining in the game. So catch us next week. We'll be recapping episode nine of Survivor 44.